Rob, National Fire Radio, Revolutionary Fire Texas at the Lake. Uh, very honored to be sitting here with the other Rob, who's much more handsome and much more accomplished than I have, Rob Fisher. It's good to meet you, Rob. I like, you. I like your name. Yeah. <laughs> this, this one's a very few times where I get to meet cool people named Bob. So usually I'm like, oh, you're a loser like me. But Do you always get called Bob? Yeah. 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 Uh, Pretty easy. And then uh, old ladies say, pinch my cheeks. <laughs> Bobby. I'm, like, I'm not a Bobby. Yeah. It's Rob. Like I get very upset. I do get I do get called Robbie. It just all depends on what part of the country you're in. You know, like uh, I was I was a Robbie when I was uh, I was named after my dad's friend from Vietnam. His name was Robbie, but they called me Robert, of course, the official name. And yeah. I've always been Rob. But when you go back east, every you know everything's or it's got a B on it, so it's always Robbie. So depends on where I'm at. It's either Rob or Robbie. Right, right, yeah. I, I run into the same issues, <laughs> and then like I want to go down south. My my brother-in-law is married to my sister, uh, he's, he's a Robbie as well. So when we're both in trouble, we just get the two Robbies. The two Robbies. And that's not how I know it. Really yeah, just don't call me Bobby. That's yeah, a, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's like a Bobby Brady thing, so. So an accomplished career, you, you got here to the revolution. The keynote was amazing. Thanks. Um, really loved it. Like just, uh, so like kind of, for those who don't know you, kind of just like, what's the synopsis of who you are, where you work and and whatnot, just like a real brief. Yeah, uh, this is my 36th year in the American Fire Service. Uh, I spent a few years prior to that as a cadet, you know, when I was 15 years old, but um, this is all I've done in my lifetime. Uh, I'm from the Pacific Northwest area, so I've worked on the other side of the country. You know, things are a little bit different. Um, I spent um, spent a short period of time as, as a firefighter. I mean, if I were to use my cadet years and everything, you could say I was a, I was a firefighter for about uh, 10 years. I was a company officer for 20 years. And in that 20 year period of time, I, I went in the training division multiple times. And then I've been a battalion chief now for uh, just over six years. And so a good portion of my, my career has been as a company officer. And uh, the greater portion of that, as I spent 17 years on the ladder truck in a smaller department, we're a suburban department. The department's grown over my career because we've had mergers over the years, but um, but right now our department is is 10 stations, does about 17,000 calls a year, uh, nine engines and one ladder truck. And so I've always worked on a, a quint. And I, so I, I mean, one of the things, one of my classes was quint essentials and, and uh, the unconventional truck and, you know, other classes surrounding quints. But I spent my entire career working on a quint. And uh, yeah, and then I promoted up in battalion chief. And so here I am today. And now my focus is you know, because I don't work on the ladder truck, my focus is, is more along the lines of tactics and, and leadership and, and mentorship. Yeah, and which is a huge thing that's kind of lacking. I've watched the fire service, and there's some organizations that are really nailing it out of the park, and then there's others that are really, it's sad in a way that they're kind of setting people up for failure and leaving them out to dry because they're not, there is no mentor uh, to kind of guide them along. So that's a very needed aspect of this for the fire service yeah one of, i mean one of the things that i've i've done with my co-founder ryan Selleck is we've started a online mentor group mm -hmm. we call young officers on fire and uh, earlier in my career i had done some type of trying to piece together mentoring and trying to figure the whole thing out and through leadership and and other classes that have been in um really trying to get the grasp on mentorship i've got a really close friend that is high up. He's a vice president with the Merritt International Hotels and used to work for Starbucks and used to work for Amazon. My wife used to work for Phillips. And so I've, I've kind of looked at like the corporate world of how they handle things. 
And uh, so since then, we've created this online mentor group. And um, what we try to do is just connect people together or connect firefighters together with other firefighters so that they can share experiences, they can make a connection with somebody else. Because it is, I mean, I, I think that when you were, if you were to go back in the fire service 40, 50 years ago, mentorship was just part of it. But we were, a, we were a different organization. You know, we were all white men, typically, and uh, everybody was very similar in their beliefs. Right. Well, the world's different today. We, we don't all have the same beliefs from, you know, even in the fire station, it's a more diverse group. And so we have, uh, we have, uh, we have devices now that make us individuals, right? And we, right. We, don't, yeah. we don't have this type of conversation anymore. We, we text everything. So, so um, trying to create some type of mentorship to realign us back in the fire service to, to going back to the old ways of doing things is kind of what our, what our group's doing now. Who, who was, like, looking back, you know, from the start of your career, who were some of the mentors that, like, took you under the wing to, to make you into who you've become today? Uh, yeah, the first one would be my operations chief. And I, and I think that for most firefighters coming in, their, their initial mentor, if they grew up in the family, and I, I'm a first-generation firefighter, so I had, I had no, my dad wasn't in it, my uncles weren't in it. But, I, you know, I, if, if I were to look at it, if, if you're in the family, probably your first mentor is going to be your dad or your uncle or whatever it be. And then once you gets in, you're probably going to have that first captain that's going to have that impact. That's just going to, you know, give you some lasting impression. Uh, for me, it was our operations chief. Again, when I started, it was a smaller department. But Eric Andrews, um, uh, he's now retired. And he's the chief up the valley for a volunteer fire department. But, but he, he's brilliant. I mean, he was just a really smart guy. He was he was really into the fire service. And the thing that was really cool about him is our organization was small, we didn't have much money, but he went out of his way to help me go to training because he saw that I had a desire to be better than myself. He saw that I loved training. He saw that you know, I wanted to be the best that I can be. And through his volunteer organization, he would like, hey, we, we're going to this conference. You're welcome to stay at the hotel. I'll just hook you up with one of my volunteers. You can, so I'd get hotel rooms to stay for free. And then he would finagle ways that he would pay for my conference. And so all I had to do was get there. Right. And, and, and early on in a career, when somebody gives you, you can see that they're giving you that much commitment mm -hmm. and they entrust you and empower you to do things. Um, so he probably would have been the very first that, like, if I could emulate my career, it would be to be a lot like Eric Andrews. And now 10 years in, you become a company officer. Like... I mean, I, I would just imagine, was he still working on, yep. on the mentoring aspect for that for yep. you as well? Yeah, he was, well, he was the chief of the training division at the time. And then in, uh, it was in 2000, basically, the department was doing this big plan with the, with the entire county. And so he had to leave the department to go and work on this county plan. Uh, we were getting 800 megahertz radio. So he was, he was part of the county yeah. division. Well, I... You know, I had the opportunity. He said, "Do you want to be? Do you want to be the captain of training? We haven't had a captain of training." And so he entrusted all training in the organization to me. And the reason is because he saw my commitment, he saw my dedication. And at that time, we didn't have to test. There was no big thing. He just it's like, "I want you to do it." And there again, another mentoring thing is that he showed, expressed that I I trust you to do this. You know, um, and that was incredible. So I got the opportunity to to run. The training division as a captain and I was only a company officer at that time for about four years and um, so very 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 fortunate um, 
and then you know going into that i'm getting outside there there was there was a number of people in our organization back that i could say there were mentors chief jager janet jager one of the first female firefighters in our area phenomenal firefighter great but she was my company officer i drove for her for a few years before i got promoted and then she finally became my battalion chief and her caring aspect and you know she was the one that because I, I wanted to go to medical school she was the one that said you know you, you're a teacher you're a teacher you're you're somebody that likes to you need to become a company officer and paramedic thing didn't work out for me and so so she kind of inspired me to become a company officer and go that route and you know battalion chief and college and you know all that kind of stuff but guys like um, uh, Mike Galliano you know being in the Puget Sound area I had the opportunity to meet up with Mike early on and Mike's a great guy um, yeah just I mean, now, now you look at it as like, as you progress up in your career, I've got Scott Thompson, Kurt Isaacson, you know, all these other guys that I'm now networked with that really bring a lot. Todd Edwards, you know, they've brought a lot to the table for me and, and it's been great. When uh, you, you bring up something that I think is commonplace in a lot of departments is that as you're, as you're promoting, you some, I don't want to say you have to, but there's a lot of places where that, you have that stop at the MTO position where you're going to be in charge of training. I know like I'm, going through it right now, like it got promoted back in April, so I'm in charge of training. Like, it's such a huge responsibility. Um, and I know sometimes, like I, I'm very excited to be there because like now I, I think things from the organization that I want to see get better and improved, we can start focusing on that. And, you know, I just really quickly this past group of probies that we had, we actually off uh, loaded the first like three weeks of training with firefighter training, because it used to be reverse. We used to do all this EMS stuff. Mm -hmm. And then now we, we focus on firefighting and it's really changed the attitude of the department around it being like, no, we are a fire department that also does EMS and stuff, yep. like EMS department that sometimes does fires. But um, how important is it for the people who are getting promoted and going through there to really embrace that position? Because I feel like sometimes people don't and it's more of a burden. They want to get back on the line, which I completely get, but do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things is that um, the best way to growth is getting out of your comfort zone. So it doesn't matter if it's going in the training division, if it's going in and working special projects in EMS or in tech rescue. But, um, you know, majority of the firefighters, at least in, in my part of the neck of the woods, you know, we work 24-hour shifts or 48-hour shifts, and nobody wants to leave the line. And they, it's not just because they want to work shifts. They also right. like to work, right? I'm like, I like going to the fires, and I like going to emergencies. Um, but I think that when you're looking at promoting up and you're looking at taking on responsibilities, you kind of got to get a more global picture, right? Yeah. You can't just like stay within, you got to kind of get outside your lane. You got to get uncomfortable. And I think that that's where you start getting a lot of growth. And, um, and the training division is a great example of, of where you can get some growth because when I went in, I was thinking, man, I'm just, all I'm going to be doing is just training all day long. When I first went in the training division the first time, that wasn't the case. And it's like, I had a lot of paperwork I had to process. I had, yeah. had individuals that had to sign up for classes and that just gave you another appreciation for you know, the full, what's the purpose of the organization and, and what are we trying to get at? And when you go outside of your normal areas, you kind of you get an appreciation of truly what we are doing and you know, what service are we providing to, to the, the people that we protect. Yeah, it's, uh, so I, you know, I asked Todd Edwards about it and he said that, like, you know, he's like, it, it may take you a year to figure out where you're going. You, you know, you'll get that drowning feeling that you're yep. making progress as long as you're kind of starting off every day with the, you know, right foot forward kind of thing. And I was like, all right. And yeah, it's, uh, I, I like the idea of, you know, personal growth through being uncomfortable. You have to, you have to have that experience. Yeah. It's, uh, 
not sometimes easy for us to, to do because you might have to admit that you don't know something, which is fine, but you know. One of the things I like my de that my department is doing is um, our training division, we're 250 member department and uh, our tra training division has six people in it, basically a chief officer that is in charge of it, a captain, uh, or I should say two captains, and then they fill the next roles with drivers and firefighters. And so firefighters, drivers can rotate in, spend a year or two in the training division, get some perspective. And so it doesn't always have to be a company officer. It can be at, at any level. And I think that's great. I wish more departments had the opportunity because if your department's big enough where you can have multiple people in the training division, they always want to fill it up with, you know, officers. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe give the, you know, give a firefighter or a driver, give them the opportunity to kind of go in there and, and, yeah. uh, and, and experience it, you know, it might motivate them to, to promote it, which is another issue that we, you know, in the fire service thing that we, that we deal with is everybody loves being, you know, and we, we had this conversation when we were here in the conference is like the best position. What's the best position in the fire service? And, and most firefighters will tell you it's either running back step or it's being a captain or a company officer and it's the best position. And as a battalion chief, I'm, I used to think that, and I, and I still think that the, probably the funnest position I had was, was I had the most fun as being a company officer. Yeah. And, but right now in my career and where things are going, I think the best position for me and in, in my interest in leadership and development mentorship is, is, being a, is being a battalion chief. And, uh, but we struggle at getting some of our great firefighters to want to take that next step because they don't want to give up all the fun that they're having. Right. And the reality is, you know, and it goes back to the earlier question is that if I can get them out of their comfort zone, they're going to develop more as be a more rounded, better rounded firefighter. And I can get more out of this individual. You know, they don't want to leave the busy truck or the busy engine or whatever it is. Or they know that if they get promoted, they're going to have to leave this battalion and have to go to somewhere else. But everything is so just like temporary. You know, you might yeah. leave the busy battalion, but it just always seems to work out. In our department of 10 stations, the guy's like, man... Man, I got promoted. Now they're sending me up to the North Battalion, or they're sending me, but they always end come back. I mean, if they truly want to be in that busier yeah. battalion, they can always get back. I, I, Terry Eller's uh, retired chief from the city of Newburgh, and it's a scrappy city. Like just you know, they run two engines in a truck, and I think now they're down to an engine and truck because of budget cuts. But like a lot of fire duty, and he would always say like when guys got moved around, you will always come home. Like there will always yeah. be a time, like and this is like temporary. You're gonna you know. And said, oh, I'm going to have to spend a year. And it's like, yeah, but what's a year out of the 20 years that you're going to do this? Or 20 yeah. plus years, really, right? And yeah. So that's an interesting perspective, too. I, I think we forget about that sometimes. So um, as a battalion chief, do you set expectations for new company officers that are working on your shift? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, my, you know, I had, I before, so when I first got promoted, I was, I was working on um, a leader's intent document and had this really long, drawn out leaders intent and we kind of gone back and forth and in our mentor group we talk about leaders intent and we talk about creating documents for that and the military uses it and it's very successful but um, basically you know what I do now because uh, I left as a battalion and I was running the fire academy for the county so I you know it was a different role that I was in and I came back and so all these company officers that I'd worked with before they were like hey chief what's your we're gonna sit down and go over expectations like I you guys know you guys know my expectations I mean we don't necessarily need to go over them again, but I think Markman op and, you know, do your job, treat people right, yeah. you know, have an all in attitude and give an all out effort. Those really sum up the, the aspects I think of, of my company and, and my guys know that 
Uh, I want to be involved as a battalion. I enjoy going to calls. I enjoy training. I think one of the biggest mistakes battalions make or maybe departments make when they have battalions is that they make battalions do so much administrative work. And the reality is, I mean, I, I get smaller departments, you might have to do that. But the reality is battalions need to develop their company officers, need to develop their, their, their companies, their people. And, um, and you see so many battalions, like in my level, where I don't have any administrative duties. I mean, my, my job as a battalion is pretty clear. I, I manage my shift, manage my battalion, and develop my people. And so many of them just don't go out and train with their firefighters. And some of it is they don't want to look like fools. Some of it is they don't have the relationship with their, their people, so they feel uncom uncomfortable, like they shouldn't be around, you know. And one of the greatest things that we can do is, is be out there, understand the tempo of our people, understand what, our, what their capabilities are and everything. So it leads to that whole thing about, you know, developing people. I like to be involved. I like to be, you know, I like to train a lot. Um, I like them to train a lot. You know, I, I would think too, like just the aspect of the chief, uh, you know, and, and particularly in this, what we're talking about, the battalion chief training with the guys, like you, you get such a, I would think there's a, a perspective to gain. So when you're on, on the fire ground at an incident like that, like you talk about the tempo, but like you're, you've trained with them. So you know where they're going to be at and where they're not at. And what kind of like just gives you that edge as a incident commander to like, it would just make you sharper because you know, you're you train with your people, so now you, you're just picking up on it. Like when something's not going right, like, hey, why are they oh, absolutely. the door? What's holding up the line? You know, where's the truck? Like, you know, kind of like just all these things can kind of start to fall into place and you can start getting ahead of problems before they become problems. So that's... Yeah, I mean, a, a good example, you're, you're absolutely right, because it does help. It, not only does it get me to understand the tempo, but it also gets me to understand where, where we're slowing down on something so I can like, where is there, where's there a problem? Um, and again, my department, we only have one ladder truck, so the company officers that are promoting the battalion chief, most of them don't even get to go through the ladder truck, you know, because we've only got four company officers that work on the ladder truck on the four shifts. But I think some of the strongest battalions are the ones that have actually done all those roles. Yeah. And there, I mean, I, I'm sure there are smaller departments out there that require it, but LAFD is about the only department I know that to promote the battalion chief, you have to go through Captain 1, which is an engine captain, and then Captain 2, which is a truck captain, uh, task force commander, basically, to, to make battalion chief. But at most other departments, and I even talked to Ray McCormick and guys from FDNY, I'm like, hey, do you, do you to promote to battalion chief, do you got to go through captain? No. Do you got to work on the truck? No. You know, so I, oh, I should say, do you have to work on the truck? Because they got to go through captain. Do you got to work on the truck? It's like, no, you never even have to work on the truck. And those experiences, it's helped me out. It helps me understand when the truck is slow to get to the roof or the truck's slow to set up. Okay, I can I understand that more now because of my experiences, but when you're a battalion that doesn't have that experience of working on the ladder truck, guess how you figure that out? You got to be there, you got to watch them, you got to be a part of it, yeah. and that's how you build it. Otherwise, you just come into a blank, and you're just like, hey, get the. I mean, it's almost like doing tabletop, you know, scenarios. It's like, okay, ladder, you go to the roof, give me a roof report, and then a minute later, you're like, all right, how's that roof report? Well, they're still setting up. Yeah. Right. And the only way you only way you understand that the only way you understand it is going out there and training with them. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great point. I, I think of like two of the, you know, probably 10 or 15 years now, it was like we had a flash of the training. The state of New York bought this simulator, whatever. So can't, it's not that big of a deal, but like we got to talking to one of the instructors who was from New York City and he was, he was explaining to us the guy that was helping him was going to be moving to a, a ladder company. 
and he's like, he's going to be a really good truck guy. And like I'd made the joke of it, it was kind of short. And uh, you know, he's like, ah, he's like, no, but like I said, why? I said, why is he going to be? Why is he going to be good at at being on the ladder? Like and he's like, oh, because he understands engine work. And he went through this whole like this whole thing about like how like it's like he's going to have that like inside knowledge from being a mouseman of how like what his job's going to be on the ladder to make it easier, whether it's forcible entry, OB, or going to the roof. And I just, I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, unfortunately for us, most guys don't go from the truck back to the engine. But like, for the ones who, you know, for whatever reason, ended up here early on in their career, they really should go back so they have a better understanding of these things and, and kind mm-hmm. of how they And I was like, they just made, you know, and, and the next fire we ran, I was like, just a little bit more aware of what was going on in relation to that, just because I never thought to kind of put that into my radar. Yeah, so, I, I think that when you're looking at like, I like the traditional set, of how it should go, the flow, like what you were talking about, is like you should come to an engine, you should understand the engine tasks, and then you know, jokingly we say you should promote to the to the ladder truck, right. and then because you know, in in the traditional sense of truck company operations, the ladder truck doesn't typically have water, and unless it's a quint, that's a whole nother thing. But it doesn't typically have water. You have a pressurized water can. You're you're working, you know, independent of a hose line. You got all these things, and so it takes a bit of experience and understanding, especially fire behavior, uh, understanding. But I will also say, especially on the West Coast, where there's more roof operations, I think, uh, as, a, as a full truck, um, and the ladder truck is a, young, is, a, is a young firefighter's game, you know? And yeah. so the idea that you slowly but surely get tired and then you go to the ladder truck because they go on less calls than the engine does, and now you got the older, Maybe more experienced, but you got the older, maybe not as flexible, not as agile individuals working on the ladder truck. Well, that just slows the ladder ladder truck down. Yeah. And and like in my organization, we just see this blend. I mean, we can have brand new firefighters, um, or I should say, newer firefighters who haven't really had much time on the engine. They come onto the ladder truck, and there's limited experience. And so, our education. Um, thank God in the academy, we, I mean, we do stuff like VES as part of ProBee's training. And um, so their education that they're getting in the academy and their ongoing education gives them enough. But we don't really have that traditional structure, and I wish we did. The, uh, I just had a thought to, oh, on, on the ladder truck too, like, uh, what was the staff in of the ladder that you're running in your city? Three. Three. And I, you know, I think that even with three, like there's the opportunity to split crews, and the officer and the backstep guy are going in doing something else. And the, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of independent thought that has to happen yeah. on a ladder company. I always loved where different mindsets came from. I know when I volunteered in Prince George's County, um, like this guy Matt Leonard sat me down. And he was like, "Listen, like when you're on the engine." Uh, like you are to protect that that truck company if they're going to do a search, like hold the stairs for them. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. And I was just like, I never, like, wow, like that's just a kind of a crazy. I don't, I don't hate saying it's crazy, but I, I just never thought of that. I was like, well, why don't we just go put the fire out? It's like, if something bad happens, like those are our guys kind of protecting things. So it's just the different nuances of, of truck work always always interest me because the the thought process is so analytical to an extent, but it's also so fluid. So yeah. So what did you think of the conference overall? It's the first time out here at Revolutionary Guard. Yeah, this, this was my first time. Uh, I, was, uh, I was honored that uh, 
David invited me along. It's funny, he ran into my wife at, at a uh, Fire Wife Life um, um, event. And so he, he was talking to her and, and he said, hey, would your husband be interested in wanting to come out? And I have a decent social media presence. And so I think that's how he kind of knew of those things that, I, that I, uh, you know, I'm interested in. And so he asked if I'd come out, and yeah, I've I've been to St. Louis a couple times, but I've never been out to the Ozarks. Yeah. And so I was told uh, I live in Vegas, so I'm used to hot weather. But I was told, watch out, it's going to be hot weather and a lot of humidity. And and uh, we didn't get we didn't really get any of that. But conference-wise, I love the smaller 200 you know 200 attendee yeah. conference, more intimate, you know. The uh, the first time I came out here, uh, that was the thing that I kind of was really just shocked it was like how close everybody was and mm -hmm. say like you come in as uh, you know, a stranger as family but like even like from the aspect of afterwards being able to talk to the instructors for like FDIC or something that's a big conference like you've got I mean there's just your, your activities are booked yeah you're doing hot classes your lectures and then you're so shy like you're going to the tap room you know, just Mr. tap room or something yeah, like yeah, that and yeah. there's like a thousand people coming up to say hi to you and there's just no there's no downtime whereas here like you just have that after after class after yeah after kind of ability to be like hey like you know i wanted to follow up on something you said and, and that or just even have a beer and you know talk shop and it's just that's uh, I'm, I'm amazed by that and i tell people like draw you know jeremy said this a long time ago put a pin on the map where you live and draw a circle 300 miles around it and you're going to find a micro conference where you can get the same level yep. of instruction and you're going to get more attention to the matter so yeah and i, I think it's interesting because like when i started going to conferences back in the in the mid 90s is like these these micro conferences didn't really exist i mean you had firehouse you had fire engineering or I should say FDIC. You had Fire Rescue at the time when Fire Rescue had their own conference. And that was just about it. You know, and then you might have a state training officers conference or something right, like that. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, now you've got just, they're everywhere. And, and it's cool. Um, it's cool. And I would rather be in the small micro, you know, the organic type uh, conference than, uh, and I love going to FDIC. And I, you know, when I go to Firehouse World back in the, in the days, I, I mean, I love going to those, but this smaller conference allows for you to like focus on whatever it may be and there might be a small group and i'm also with the fools so i usually run into some fools members and and guys want to talk about stuff related to the fools or, or training or they're following me on something else you get around a table like this and there's only 50 people in the room it makes it real easy to be able to have conversation with multiple people whereas the days that we were at the clada or you know at the district yeah. and all those you know you'd be in there and you'd just be it would be just slammed with people trying to have a conversation with it so loud, like you could barely even hear the conversation. And then when you went outside, there was another thousand plus people there. And it, yeah. it just made it really difficult. It reminds me of my wedding. Like there's so much going on. You were trying to talk to everybody and you're like, all right, I gotta go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he's like, you, you didn't get to eat. You know, you had this great meal for everybody. You didn't get to eat it. You, you carried the same drink in your hand for for hours trying to meet as many people it. like it's <clears throat> yeah what um one of the i remember the question i was going to ask you before was um in the travels what's the difference between truck work that you've seen from like you know you're on the west coast versus like the east and then even the midwest like do you see a, a vast difference in what we're all really trying to accomplish or is it just mainly how we attempt to get the mission done 
is just, uh, you know, we'll, well all get to D eventually, but it's just, but the order's a little different. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, um, I mean, one of the one of the groups I'm with, the Roof Pervs and, and with the Highwaymen, you know, we spend a lot of time doing like roof operations. It's, it's LA's approach, uh, West Coast style approach to roof operations. And there's a separator uh, and, you know, not to cause any controversy or anything, but there's, there's definitely a separator between firefighters on the East Coast and firefighters on the West Coast. And, and it, it all comes back to building construction. So you've got the engineered, some call it lightweight construction. And when I came into the fire service, you know, some of the stories are being told about like gusset plates popping and, you know, trusses failing and all these things. It, that really hasn't, I haven't seen it. And, we, and, and uh, so I think the first separation is how we, how we approach building construction. If you were in an old part of the country, the East Coast, you know, you're probably pretty comfortable with, with you know, Main Street USA, right? Yeah. And, and, and that is your building construction. And you're not as comfortable, you might, you know, understand what you think you understand about engineered construction. Whereas in my world, it's all engineered construction. If I didn't work in or on the roof of uh, an engineered building, I wouldn't be going, I wouldn't be doing any of the work whatsoever. And then on top of that, we still have, we still have a duty as firefighters. I don't care if you're, you know, if your city is 200 years old or if your city is 50 years old, you still have a duty of firefighters to protect people. And, and where I'm from, people live in lightweight or engineered buildings. Yeah. And so you still have to, we have to be able to work in those environments. It's a different environment than that in some other, some other type of building. So the first thing I would say truck-wise is how we approach building construction and what we allow our people to do and what we're comfortable doing. I get in discussions all the time with firefighters that, you know, they're like, I'd never want to be up on a lightweight roof. And I'd say, I actually, I'd rather be on, I'd rather be on an engineered lightweight roof than I would rather be on some of those buildings that are 150 years old, yeah. you know, that are made out of conventional construction. I'm like, cause that, how do I know the structure? I mean, it seems solid, but it could fail at any time. Whereas on a lightweight, I know when it's, but it's my comfort zone, right? Yeah. So I would say the first thing is, is how you approach you know your your perspective on building construction how does it impact truck operations then the other thing is um you know quints have become very popular and one of the classes that i used to teach is is basically a quint is a suburban truck company and a lot of departments that are looking for accreditation and all these things are going to put water on their ladder trucks because they want that extra half a point they look at it for their and, and it's changing the shape of what is the role of, of a ladder truck. So again, there's the other part. If I work in an, an urban department that is really structured, FDNY, Chicago, you know, you name it, you, you, you have very structured duties and what everybody's doing. But you come to the West Coast, a lot of the departments, even some of the bigger departments that are, they're not LAFD, they're running, you know, they're running quints and you're like, well, they have a different role. So it changes there. Uh, I mean, just use LAFD as an example. LAFD runs the light force, or, but it's actually a task force now. I mean, they have a couple of light forces, but they're running a ladder truck with an engine that is married to it. I mean, it's, we don't want to call it a quint, but it's, yeah. but when they go to a fire, if they were all by themselves, the, the 200 engine or the 200 pumper, what they would call it, that's attached to the truck, it goes and it will pump a fire. Same concept as, as a quint, you know, and, and together I believe their staffing is six. 
and, and they would handle it the same way, but just, just a little bit different. So I think when you're looking at those things, it makes it a little bit different. But what's cool is um, we're starting, you know, over the last 15, 20 years, tools have changed. Yeah. I mean, everybody has. So when I came in, we had that, that piece of shit style bar, the, the Paratech, the shiny, right, right. you know, the hooligan. And what's really cool is now wherever I go, those that are into the job, everybody's got pro bars, right? Yeah. And, and now, so, the, so everybody's getting educated. So our tools are starting to be the same. You know, they're, if they're look, using different types of hook, New York hook or um, um, the oh, Lockwood, yep. you know, lock. So all of these tools are starting across the board. So I can be in the East Coast or I can be on the West Coast and you're starting to see those tools. And so our tools are getting the same. It's just now where you're at, maybe where there's a quint, how you're going to handle that is going to be a little bit different. And I think, again, going back to the building construction, is like how you're going to approach uh, engineered buildings. It, it changes the way that we operate as, as ladder companies across the nation. Um. And really, I know we've been going for a little bit here, but real, uh, Fools, you remember the Fools group? I know that there's a lot of people who ask us about this because we're kind of, I don't want to say we're like intertwined, but we've gotten to know Rusty Richter very well from New England. Oh yeah, Rusty's great. And uh, I, I love how he, I could listen to him talk. Like he's a mixture <laughs> of like Peter Griffin and stuff. And, and, and I like his mustache. Yes. <laughs> um, for people who are, like, if somebody feels like they're missing something in the fire service, like should they be seeking out the Fools group? Uh, I, I would, yeah, I would say I started the, when the Fools in uh, 2002 is when my when I when I actually got my card. But 2001 is when I first met a group of Fools, and I met them on the West Coast in Sa in Sacramento uh, on a roof. Uh, Bob Pressler was there uh, teaching a class. Um, Kevin Trost was the uh, was the captain from uh, Sac City, and that's when I first met somebody of the Fools and first learned of the Fools. And then what was really cool is. I started to realize that all these cool cats that knew the job and that were really into the job and were really into training, they were all fools. Yeah. And you know, I didn't know at that time, I really didn't know who Bob Pressler was and I didn't know these guys. But what it did is it, it I was like, man, if, if these guys are part of the fools, then that I want to be a part of this organization yeah. too. So I joined in, in uh, 2002, um, fools started in 95, a group of firefighters from Florida basically. Um, as the group got together, it, it's gone across the, the nation, and we've have all these different chapters. Uh, I joined my chapter up in the Pacific Northwest, and uh, now I've gone through training trustee as uh, as the international. And right now, I'm the Western Regional Rep, so I've got 35 chapters that I'm re responsible for. But it's a great place because it allows for you to network. It doesn't matter if your career, your volunteer. You know, doesn't matter if you're male or female. Um, it's all about brother and sisterhood, and it's about training, and it's about networking, and it's, and it's remembering our fallen brothers and sisters before, and and holding on to some of the, the traditions of the fire service. Yeah, I, I've been very impressed with New England. I just, that's, that's the fool's chapter that's most active in our area. So I always want to like I tell guys, I'm like we, you know, it's one of those things where I said to Rusty, I was like, we don't really have like we're, I think we're missing it because we either have to go to Jersey or up to Maine. So like you know. Do you want to get involved with Tailored Hammer or Pork Roll, or do you want to go get lobster up in the you know, Outtake Lobster every week? But, yeah, Rusty's chapter is yeah. a busy, is a is a very active chapter. Muddy River Fools in St. Louis is an active chapter, and I mean, there's there's a number of chapters that oh, they're all over, they're all over the country. I mean, you can go on to FoolsInternational.com and you can look up and see where there's a where there's a local chapter, and you can join a chapter. And in a lot of these conferences you go to. 
there's always some element of the fools that are here. Right. And yep. And you just like you can just you can just get in line with them. And and uh, but there's I've got a lot. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't have these opportunities if it wasn't for the fools and if it wasn't some of this stuff. So. Thank you for taking a little bit of time today to chat with us. I appreciate it. Oh, man, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. Everybody's Rob, National Fire Radio. Cutting it up with Rob Fisher. Revolutionary Fire Texas at the Lake. We'll see you guys later. Thank you. National Fire Radio.